If you go through a design process, by the time you get to the end and you develop the product, making any significant change to that is not only nearly impossible, it's often very costly. A lot of people, when they go to a new location, they buy one of the travel guides to that country. And ideas that are all centered or framed with the goal of supporting identity development. Welcome to season three of ISS EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything with Mike and Dana. Proudly present to you by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P, your favorite educator interviewer, and I'm joined by my esteemed co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts, the Director of Learning, Research, and Outreach here at ISS. We're thrilled to have you back for season three. Grateful for your incredible support. With over 20,000 downloads and listens, this season, our mission remains unwavering to deliver the best practical information, insights, and strategies directly to you. Our goal is to equip you with the tools you can implement right away to delve into further to enhance your educational practices. Before we get into today's enriching content, a few housekeeping items. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, like, and leave us a review on your preferred podcast platform. Whether you're on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, and many others, we're right there with you. Stay in a loop about upcoming events and certifications by visiting iss.edu slash events. And for those seeking exciting job opportunities, be sure to explore our virtual and physical fairs. Get ready for a season filled with inspiration, innovation, and impactful insights. Let's make this journey together. Now let's get started. Educators and change makers, it's EDU Learn, Ask Me Anything, proudly presented by ISS EDU. I'm your host, Mike P. I have here with me my co-host, Dr. Dana Specker-Watts. Hi, Mike. Hi, everyone. <laughs> also have with us the voice of the audience, Molly Faye Nash. Hi, Mike. Hey, everyone. Pleased to be here. We're thrilled to have you back with us in season three, episode 15 of our podcast. Don't forget to hit the subscribe, give us a like and share your thoughts with a review on your preferred podcast. Let's go ahead and dive in in today's conversation. We are privileged to have to be welcoming back the Real Discussion community. For those who do not know, Real Discussion is a platform dedicated to fostering meaningful online conversations, providing a space for individuals to engage in thoughtful and respectful discussions on a wide range of topics. Today, we have the privilege of speaking with the founder of Real Discussions, Liza Goranzik, and a longtime teacher of Real Discussions, Patrick Farmer. Our discussion today centers around getting the discussion started. And without further ado, before we get into our topic, just like to say hello to Liza and Patrick. Hello. Hey, Mike. Nice to be back. And thank you for that intro. We're thrilled to discuss discussion today with you all. Absolutely. So nice to be talking with grown-ups instead of middle schoolers for the moment. <laughs> Very nice. So Liza, did you just want to tell us a little bit more about Real Discussions? I know you've been here before, but just for the listeners who are new here, just tell us a little bit about the organization, maybe yeah. how you found it, and also where can they find it themselves? Yes, absolutely. Thanks, Mike. So Real grew out of my own experience as a teacher and leader in schools. And when I was a teacher, I was working with, you know, kind of middle grades and also high schoolers, kids kind of ages 10 to 18. And what I started thinking about was how when I was a kid in school, we had computer labs. Do you all remember computer labs? 
Mm-hmm. And you went to computer lab, you know, once a week and you learned skills like typing or you learned skills like eye hand mouse coordination, which was a thing that we were taught in the 90s because that wasn't intuitive. And teachers, you know, there were specifically trained experts who taught students these very high value skills. Then once you had them, once you learned how to type and you passed your typing test, you were able to type in all of your courses across the curriculum. And you would also use typing at home when you were on, you know, messaging with your friends. And what I realized was that as a teacher, I kept looking at the kids in my classroom and listening to them really struggle to connect in person, even even far before COVID. And what I thought about was today's kids clearly don't need computer labs anymore. Like they can swipe before they talk, but they desperately need conversation lab. And how can we equip teachers to teach skills like talking and listening the same way that I was taught, you know, typing in the 90s to make sure that students have these high value communication skills that they can use across the entire curriculum, but also in their lives, you know, to build friendship and be good citizens and all of that. So at Real, we provide PD and student materials that's essentially like training and more, basically it's like the software for for this idea of conversation lab for schools. We work with schools across the US and around the world, and it looks a little different in every school. But we love being part of the ISS community because uh, I think the the conversation is certainly rich. Oh, thank you for that, Liza. <laughs> Patrick, could you tell us a little bit, how long have you been with Real Discussions uh, and how did you get started? How did you find out about the organization? Sure. Well, uh, what I was seeing was the exact same problem that Liza's talking about. So I've used Real in a wide range of contexts from sort of the world of like elite private schools to um, this like much more urban underprivileged school where I'm, I'm working now. And what's interesting is that across the sort of socioeconomic and racial spectrum of students that I've worked with, I keep seeing the same thing, which is that students really don't know how to talk to each other. And I have in my head this idea of what kind of a rich discussion looks like, but they don't have that picture in their head. And so my job as a teacher is to like, just like I would do with any subject to kind of like break that down, teach them what the expectations are in that space, what the norms are in that space, what the possibilities are and the kind of why, like, why are we having a class discussion? What does it look like? What does it mean? I mean, it's that basic. And the power of real is being able to like break it down and sort of like demystify it. Like I really do think it's a mystery to some of these kids. What I'm asking them to do when we get in a small group to like talk about a book. They just don't have that same experience that we do. Well, and to pick up on that point, Patrick, I mean, you know this, but we survey at real, we do like thousands and thousands of surveys of students about their experience and discussion. And one of the top kind of words and emotions that comes out for us in the qualitative section is relief. And I think that's true for, I think it's a relief for kids to be taught how to talk to each other. Cause I think it's this thing that adults think they know how to do. And then they start doing it and they feel like they're doing it wrong. And then also for teachers, we hear the same thing of like relief from PD. And I think for teachers, there's a sense of like, I know discussion is important. I want discussion to be in my classroom. And also it is really hard to structure a discussion where all student voices are heard. And maybe I kind of quietly feel like I'm falling short on that front. And it's nice to be in a community where we kind of own the challenges there, especially I would say challenges in a multicultural or multilingual classroom too, and say, all right, 
So this is a challenge and how are we going to solve for it? So I think that the relief tied to what happens when you demystify discussion is worth pointing out. I was just uh, getting excited because that is like so true about my students. There are some students in my class who kind of have an idea of what a discussion looks like. There are other students that have no clue and they, for the most part, want to do what I'm asking them to do, but they really don't know how. And so that's where real comes in is this tool where we can kind of like break down that how. Sorry, Dana, I cut you off. Go on. Oh, no, I you kind of take the words out of my mouth too, right? Like so many of our students, I think, well, I think our teachers are best intentioned, right? But sometimes they're not even certain if they're being inclusive of all the voices in their classroom. And in an international context, there's so many cultural things that come into how do you have a discussion? Do you wait to be called on? Is someone considered more of like a senior person or have like a different sitting in the classroom? And that could be because they're perceived as the more academic person or the teacher's pet or whatever, right? So our teachers need this as much as the students to try to figure out and navigate all the different complex issues that are happening in our classroom. We may have blind spots too. Yeah, absolutely. That is so true. And I think like... It's just interesting how real gives us the language to like talk about some of those group dynamics and things that are happening in the discussion. So because kids are like tracking the moves that they make in discussion, after the discussion, there's space where we can reflect on that. Well, what moves got made and who made them? And whoa, that's interesting. Like this could always spoke first, or this could always does this, or like, or nobody used this. That's interesting. I wonder why. And so it takes some of those, all those dynamics that are under the surface and brings them out where kids can reflect on them and learn from them. It's pretty powerful. Are you an educator looking to elevate your career? Consider more than university your gateway to success in international schools. They offer fully online programs with flexible start dates and affordable tuition rates, allowing you to balance work and personal life. Moreland University isn't your typical institution. Say goodbye to dull lectures and hello to engaging, interactive learning with passionate educators like yourself. It's a hands-on education that sparks creativity and prepares you for the real-world challenges. With Moreland University, you can earn a prestigious U.S. teaching certification or a master's degree in education from anywhere in the world. Their programs are designed to empower you to become a leader in your field. Don't wait. Take your steps forward, transforming your career today. Visit www.moreland.edu and apply now. Let Moreland University help you make a difference in student lives worldwide, one classroom at a time. Your journey to becoming an exceptional educator starts with Moreland University. A brighter future begins with you. We think a lot, too, about like the coaching metaphor of how can we help teachers be coaches when it comes to discussion. And that's something that that we also find resonates because there's also this perennial question for a lot of teachers of like, what's my role in a discussion based classroom? And so helping folks realize like to be a coach and to help debrief afterwards is a very big part. It's a very big value add the same way on a field. You know, if you're playing a sports game, if you're in an athletics contest, the coach isn't on the field winning the game. (laughs) And so how can we help students really have the confidence to lead conversation in a classroom and help teachers have the trust and really have the systems in place to maintain an equitable environment while having it also be student-led? The coaching thing comes up all the time. Like my students love 
that language of sports that's very like relatable to them just to own like it's not very relatable to me i'm not like a <laughs> person but uh it really works for the kids to like think about like a, a soccer game or a football right that like in the football match there's limited number of moves you can make really when you get the ball you could dribble you could pass you could shoot that's kind of it and what makes a soccer match exciting is the way that a team plays those moves off each other to move the ball down the pitch toward the goal mm -hmm. and so what we can do with the kids is talk about discussion in that same way. There are like a limited number of these moves you can make in discussion. They all have slightly different effects, but together they're going to help your whole group dig deeper into the book and reach this goal, which is like deeper understanding of the text, new understanding that you're building together. So that's been really useful with my students, 11, 12, 13 year olds, and kind of thinking about like, what are we doing in this discussion space? So it seems like, you guys are focusing on a lot of that coaching, a lot of that like promotion of open and respectful dialogue is something that's kind of come up in the session that was taught. And then also in following conversation is how do you like address the challenge of maintaining that constructive, respectful, positive conversation space, especially in today's diverse and, and often polarizing like digital environment. I know in the session, someone mentioned uh, zero tolerance cell phone policies. Somebody else kind of chatted their opposition. So I'd love to know what your take is on it. I mean, I think a starting place for me is to frame up for kids that the magic of being together in person without screens, like that there's magic in that. And that by definition, then we're going to be there and be human together. And it's going to get weird. And you're going to say something that makes another classmate kind of sit back, right? Or you're going to say something where you see someone else in real, we teach a nonverbal symbol. I know I'm on a podcast, you can't see it, but it's kind of like a, it means eye to eye. And we teach students that it's a basically a visual like button. And so conversely, what that means is that, you know, a kid can be talking and somebody who might not be their friend or someone who might not usually agree with them might suddenly start making the I agree symbol from across the room. And then that you, the child who's speaking, their voice will get louder. They'll lean in more. They'll be more likely to speak again. And attention to those kinds of dynamics can't happen when kids have screens. I think schools need to make whatever decision is appropriate for them locally in terms of cell phone policies. But I certainly advocate for some protected time during the school day where children have no screens and they're practicing these literal human communication skills and debriefing things like, okay, so Mike, when you said that comment, did you see like Dana, what was going through your head? And then Dana can kind of be like, well, I disagreed, but I didn't really know what to say. So I just kind of sat back. Right. And then as the teacher, you can say, right, I noticed that, but I wasn't sure if other people did too. You know, how else can we communicate and help kids start to pay attention to those mechanics? Because they really, I mean, if you ask kids today about, especially like a tough conversation, are you going to have it over a screen or in person? They look at you like you're crazy for asking the question because the answer is so obviously through a screen, you know, and most adults, the answer is in person. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but for kids, it's through a screen. And if you ask them why... What they say is kind of fascinating and it is pretty universal across 
grade levels, across cultures, they say something because then I give the person on the other side privacy or I give them space to respond or I don't put them on the spot. And what's interesting is what kids today see as giving each other space to respond actually robs them of, I think, the authentic, intimate moment of getting through a little hiccup together and moving forward. And so that I think that that's really important to think about is like really not just how are we going to be talking about hard topics, but how can we train kids in the very basic levels of communicating and reading the room enough to be able to then start to broach harder topics and be able to recognize responses as they're coming up? You made me think of so when I was in um, I was recently where was I? What country? Bogota. And I was at the Tri Association conference and Emily Meadows and Elisa Perez did this whole thing on how to have difficult conversations, right? And they were providing us with starters and like ways to have those discussions in a civilized way, right? And I ended up sending them to my kids who are uh, (laughs) not just amongst themselves, but even with their friends. And when they're talking about so many different issues that are happening in the world, right? And I want, I think students need, and adults need those kinds of things of modeling. It just resonates with me so much when you said, you know, he used to go to the tech room to learn how to like type, right? And so like, where are we teaching people how to have conversations that don't end up in fighting and yelling and screaming and all that's a skill set. That's a lifelong transportable gift that we can give students and adults and that will help them in their life. And oh yeah, when you did that little hand gesture too. Visual like. Yeah. I mentioned this in, I think during your class, but my son and I, he recently moved back in with me and he's 22. Having your 22 year old move back in with you is very difficult, right? And there are things when sometimes the conversation gets a little tight and tense. And so we do this thing from the show, The Bear, where we take our fist and put our fist over our heart and then touch our heart, which means we're getting into tough territory. Let's take it down a notch. And so like, but learning those discussion, like those things for discussion are essential for students and adults so much. So I really appreciate what you are both, what you're doing. It's really helpful. As an educational professional, you likely understand the positive and crucial role inclusion has on classroom culture. And you might be on the lookout for a community of like-minded educators. Senya International is that community. Senya is a nonprofit organization that advocates for individuals with disabilities and promotes inclusive educational practices across the globe. With a network of educators, families, students, and professionals, Senya offers connection, professional learning, and support for educators like you. Connect with the Senya community via our membership program or a local chapter in your area. Enjoy professional learning with the Senya community via our podcasts, online certification program, and in-person or virtual conferences. Support Senya through our sponsorships, awards, and scholarship program. So, what are you waiting for? For more information, head to our website, senyainternational.org. That's S-E-N-I-A international.org. And together, we continue to make a difference and fulfill our vision of living in an inclusive world. Liza, you have something? Oh, I was just going to say, Dana, I love that example of the bear claw over your heart, because I think that the other piece is 
for teachers who have a really diverse group of students in the classroom, it is so important to define up front and in front of everybody what those moves are for your classroom, especially if everyone's coming from different cultural backgrounds to begin with. Like you and your son have a pretty common, you know, starting point. And clearly so. at some point, right, you taught him that. But I think so often, sometimes we try to have tough conversations in a classroom or even after something happened on a playground without providing those ground rules up front. And it's actually the ground rules, I think, that unlock belonging for all kids because they start to say like, oh, this is the culture in this classroom. And I am part of it because I know how to interact. And that that's a gift too. Mike, I cut you off. Go ahead. What were you what were you about to hop in? With? No, no, no. This one was uh, my next question was towards uh, was piggybacking off of what Dana was saying, but it was to Patrick. Just wanted to know if he could give us a particular example. I'm pretty sure that you handled a few difficult discussions within the platform itself, but give us some examples, specific examples of where discussion where real discussion was used to handle a difficult discussion and how did you approach it? Sure. Um, Well, I think that stuff about models is so interesting to think about. Most of my students communicate through text or through video game platforms, and their kind of like understanding of uh, face-to-face discussion is really limited to like arguing. They don't really have a sense of like what a collaborative intellectual endeavor might be. Like if I have an idea and you have an idea, we're going to argue till we find out whose idea is right. And we're really like shifting that to go back to the like sports metaphor. This discussion is a team sport. Like no one person is going to win this discussion. What a win looks like is all of us developing a new understanding and empathy for different points of view. So we do a lot of like kind of setting up in that way to talk about those things. And it's pretty cool to see how that plays out. You know, like some of the discussions that we'll have, they're usually about books that we've read. And there are some pretty weighty topics, issues of race and power. Sometimes some of the books we have to do with like refugees and people experiencing violence and depression. So like heavy stuff comes out a lot of times stuff that can trigger strong feelings for students related to their backgrounds or the backgrounds of people and their families. And so if somebody's like jumping down your throat, arguing about something that can really hit home when something is raw like that. And so real creates like a structure where students are know where kind of the limits are and they can use those to like support each other in that space rather than kind of putting each other down or hurting them in that way. I'd say some of the coolest moments are like all this social skill work translates outside of the classroom too. So we have our like real discussion, then we go about our lives. Then like two weeks later, I'll be in the hallway hearing some kids talking about who knows what and seeing them do the I agree signal, you know? And it's Mm -hmm. like, oh my gosh, you brought this into your like social interaction in a way that is going to help you connect without, you know, a way that's going to help you show empathy and sort of like talk to each other without just arguing about something. It's really cool when you see that it's like sunk in. They've taken it with them and applied it in other contexts. We had the best survey response come in at one point this fall where uh, I think it was a 14 or 15 year old said one of the things that they felt like they learned through real. Glad to be doing this because I feel like I know how to disagree with someone's idea, not their identity. Mm. 
which I just think is like the most beautiful. I know mic drop right there, right? Sometimes kids are so wise, but if only we could teach the world how to disagree with each other's ideas, not identity, (laughs) we would all be much more civil, I think. But it's funny to Patrick's other point, like we also see responses from kids all the time of like, we'll ask them, where have you seen real skills outside the classroom or how have you used them? And they will say things when I'm checking out at a grocery store and the cashier talks to me, I don't look at my shoes anymore Mm -hmm. or on a date when things get awkward or, you know, they are very real about places where they take this kind of oral confidence that they're developing. And in some ways, if you're a high school teacher, maybe that those aren't the skills that you thought that you were teaching, right? You thought that your 16-year-old felt fine if the cashier asked them how their day was going. Um, but I think in today's world, it's pretty critical that we realize exactly how high stress live communication can be for kids, even if it's not about a hard topic. And at real, you know, we try to make it a little easier. That plays into the like sports thing that my students are always talking about. It's like, sometimes a teammate misses the ball, you know, or misses the shot. And so do you like stop the game and like laugh at them? No, you try and like pick it up, right? You pick up whatever they were trying. You kind of like take whatever's going to work from that moment and you use that to make the next play. And that is like part of that shift in thinking to like, oh, this is a team sport. This is a collaborative activity. It's not just a like, yeah, some people win, some people lose. There you go. They're really thinking about that. To the other point about voice, I think about that a lot with the particular school where I'm working now, which is a school in Boston that serves exclusively boys from uh, boys of color from low-income families in the city of Boston. And so many of our students are going to go on to sort of elite private high schools where they will be one of a very small group of people who look like them, who sound like them, come from their background. And in that situation, many of our students are going to want to hide and do everything they can to blend in. And what we're doing in real is getting them the strength to find their voice and take up space in these other contexts. So I really feel like that's sort of the bigger project is like, I want you to find your voice and use your voice and believe that your voice matters and contributes to everyone's ideas wherever you are. Thanks for that, Patrick. Hi everyone, this is Aaron Moniz, one of the co-founders of Inspire Citizens. My name is Scott Jameson and I'm the Global Collaborations Lead for Inspire Citizens. We help inspire schools to live their mission of global citizenship. We look at existing units through the lens of empathy to impact and connect student learning with themes like sustainable development, harmony with nature, social justice, and the holistic well-being of our community. We also work with students to co-design student leadership programs. Another way that we support educators is through our Global Citizenship Certificate in partnership with ISS. This certificate program involves best practice resources for global citizenship education, interactive opportunities to engage with other cohort members, a great team of coaches to walk you through your learning, and optional opportunities to connect via seminars with other participants from around the world. Please visit inspirecitizens.org and click on the Inspire Educators tab to register for the Global Citizenship Certificate, visit the ISS website, or go to the ISS EduLearn Passport to register today. 
At Inspire Citizens, we believe that the young people in our schools have the potential to lead change and inspire others through their work towards a more sustainable future. We look forward to working with you and we hope that together, our resources and your contacts can help to create a more harmonious future. Uh, here goes another question. Maybe this one is for Liza or so in the design aspect of the platform. Just wanted to know how does the platform translate the principles of explicit discussion skill teaching into its design? Great question, Mike. So at Real, we think, I think the platform you're referring to is really the P community of educators. So we deliver PD mostly online um, through virtual, through synchronous and asynchronous workshops. Most teachers have a blend of both. The asynchronous workshop, I mean, for anybody who thinks they can't take another async course, I say take ours anyway, because it is full of things like you get to zoom into Patrick's classroom and see the method in action, see his students doing it. And then you step back as a teacher and think about, you know, what coaching you'd provide if those were your students. So it's a blend of synchronous and asynchronous learning, all of our PD is. And I mean, the best place for ISS educators to have access to that is through ISS. Since we have our program this year where you have access to any teacher at ISS schools can sign up to get certified in real discussion. And then once you've done that, there are also student materials you can access and you're welcomed into a global PLC of educators from around the world who are all deeply, deeply passionate about distilling discussion into teachable skills for a generation of kids who would rather uh, text than talk. So that's where to find us is look on the ISSPD website, realdiscussion.org is the other place. And then what I can promise you is that even in our... Uh, any live session we lead is designed in accordance with the real principles. So you will hear every voice. We will be using the nonverbal cues. We will even have parts of the PD session where we take on familiar student personalities and then talk through, you know, some of the challenges. So I would say that the design principles, I mean, you'll get to test out the system as part of the professional learning. Highly metacognitive for anyone who's interested in mind brain education. So, yep, check us out, realdiscussion.org or ISS PD page. Just a plug. It's also just really fun. It's the most fun PD I think I've ever been a part of. Uh, you get to, like, have these discussions about, uh, you know, practice discussions about literature with other grownups. And you get to, like, try some different things and make some, like, fumbles and recover and laugh. It's pretty rich. I have just one last question. It's probably something that I try to utilize in the workspace as well. But the question is, looks like you guys have built a great platform, a great community that has people sharing things. And to share certain things, you have to be vulnerable. And for you to be vulnerable, you have to be in a space that is safe and inclusive. So I just wanted to see how do you guys address different types of diverse learning styles and backgrounds while teaching in these environments? I think we one place that we start, Mike, that I think is is pretty important is whenever we lead PD, we always invite people to start with their stories um, and to start with their why. And really, the introductory session is building relationships, building trust and honoring the fact that teachers are coming from lots of different places with lots of different 
motivations for teaching and lots of different purposes in their daily work and also points of frustration and points of concern. And so I think that that starting so many PDs, especially when it's training in a method, which is, you know, what real is, I think so often teachers show up expecting to just be taught what to do so that they can go home and do it. And at real, we teach you what to do and we help you figure out how you're going to do it in your classroom. But fundamentally, the first thing we do is get to know everybody in the Zoom room. So I think that goes a very, very long way. And Patrick actually, I mean, I don't think he said this yet, but he's not just a teacher at Real, he's also a trainer. So he facilitates this open dialogue among educators, often from very diverse backgrounds. Um, so I think he can speak to that question too. Yeah, totally. I mean, both in the PD and in the classroom, like it all starts with getting in touch with our experience with my students. We'll talk about what are some of the things that make discussion hard? And we'll kind of surface some of these issues and start to realize like, oh, lots of us have struggled with lots of these different things. So then we can like together sort of think about solutions or with our adults, we'll think about like, okay, what is your experience of discussion? Oh, mine is like sitting around the table with my family. Oh, mine is like when I'm in the car with my dad, whatever it is, people have different experiences, some positive, some negative. And we bring all of that with us to the table when we're having a book discussion. So we have to be able to like kind of explore how that's affecting the way we show up in that space. Thank you so much for sharing, guys. We're coming towards the end of our show. So just let the listeners know where they can find you, maybe on social media, on email or anything of that nature. If you guys are or any authors, you know, let us know about that as well. Awesome. Yeah, we'll give you some links to share in the show notes, Mike. But hello at realdiscussion.org or just go to the realdiscussion.org website and you'll find everything you need to know. We're most active on LinkedIn. It's also Real Discussion. And other than that, again, I think the ISS website and PD workshop page is the place to get signed up to join us in this work of helping students find their voice and learn to listen to others. What about you, Patrick? Do you have any personal emails or personal Absolutely, social media yeah. to put out there? I would say come check out Nativity Preparatory School of Boston. We're doing some pretty special things here. You can find us on the website. All my contact info is there. And if you're in Boston, come visit. All right. Thank you so much, guys, uh, for taking the time out today to just have a conversation uh, with me and my listeners. Thank you for sharing your valuable insights and experiences. It's been a great pleasure having you here on ISS EDU Ask Me Anything. And to our listeners, thank you for tuning in. If you found this episode inspiring and informative, please be sure to hit the like, subscribe, and share the AMA with your educated friends. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes. Until next time, keep exploring, keep learning, and keep making a positive impact in the world of education. Until next time, bye-bye. Bye. -bye.